The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I forgot to hit record on my thing. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. I can line it up if you just say. I'm recording now. Sorry. I was scrolling through the notes. Oh, God. I'm Laura oh, Understall. <laughs> Keep that all in. <laughs> I, I got to be, I don't even know who I am anymore. I am Mike Snoonian, question mark. Question mark? Uh? <laughs> yeah, we're all, um, it's been, you know, it's been a long year and it's only like June. I, th- I think it's June. I mm. still get a little mixed up. Anyways, yeah, so we're all just right on edge and you know what that's what makes for great podcasting though right um yes so definitely we're yes <laughs> and not no exactly yeah the three of us having a breakdown recording yeah, I know. We'll, we'll make a fascinating historical it's, record it's relatable <laughs> hashtag relatable um anyways so yeah today we are before we start talking i just want to give another trigger warning we do one at the top of the show but this one is another one that might be a little sensitive to some listeners we are continuing with our june theme of suicide and we are talking about the original pulse Our first episode was on Flatliners, and in that episode, I dropped in timestamps for when we were talking about each section. So if you want to skip over parts of this, it might be a little more sensitive. Um, We completely understand. I will do the same thing for this episode as well. But yeah, so we are talking about the original Pulse today, which I am very excited about because it was a first watch for me. But before we talk about Pulse, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen it. You saw the uh, 2006 remake with Kristen Bell. Boo! Or, <laughs> or the one good thing I will say about that is it has Jonathan Tucker in it, and I'm a fan of Jonathan Tucker. I like I Kristen Bell also. But yeah, I like Kristen Bell too. Jonathan Tucker, is, he's in The Ruins, if you've seen that. He's, he's in The, the Ruins, yeah. dark-haired boyfriend okay. in The Ruins. Um, he's like the first guy that dies, so he's not in it mm-hmm. enough. Anyways, but I do like Kristen Bell. Anyways. So here's your spoiler warning. If it gets too close to another spoiler warning, it'll die. (laughs) But if it gets too far apart, it loses its ability to spoil. (laughs) Uh, And you probably shouldn't look at it. (laughs) Don't look it in the eyes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's funny. So just to reinforce Jen's warning, there are some descriptions of suicide ahead. Uh, Let's say several of them. Yes. Pulse weaves its tail through two parallel storylines, almost led by two sort of protagonists, plant shop employee Michi and college student Kawashima. If I butcher these names, I apologize. Yes, we apologize. I apologize to everyone. Michi's story begins with her co-worker Taguchi having recently gone missing, sort of. The other employees, Michi's friends Junko and Yabe and their boss, aren't sure if he's full-blown missing or just ditching work. 
He owes them a computer disc, and it is painful to remember that I was just a few years younger than these people when computer discs were still a thing. Mm. <laughs> yep. Michi goes to Taguchi's apartment. He's there, phew, but he seems weird and moody. As Michi searches his desk for the disc, which he tells her is there, he makes a noose and hangs himself in the next room. Michi turns around to discover his grotesque body, neck improbably distorted. His death didn't make a sound. Back at work, Michi and friends load up the disc and find an image of Taguchi staring at his own computer monitor. The same image is on the monitor, and thus it recurses endlessly like a salon mirror from hell. On his other monitor, there's a pale face. Elsewhere, we meet Kawashima. He's logging on for the first time. Don't! It's a trap! We all <laughs> fell for it, and it's too late for us, but there's still time for you! Destroy the internet! <clears throat> As he fumbles his way through installing the ISP and logging on, cue dial-up sounds, things start to get strange. A website appears on his screen and shows him grainy webcam views of people alone in dark rooms, and they don't seem happy. Disturbed by the experience, he goes to his school's computer labs, where he meets Harua, a computer science grad student. He asks her, WTF is up with the website, and also, how does the internet work? <laughs> I really felt him on that. I, uh -huh. like, I remember when I asked my friend what Google was. She was like, it's a search engine. I was like, it's a search engine. <laughs> and I was working in the computer labs in college in 2005, so this was not far off from my reality. <laughs> Maybe it's his Pacific Sunwear clothes. Maybe it's his sweet himbo vibes, but she takes the time to help him out. She asks him to bookmark the page so he can examine it, but his PC won't cooperate. It just shows him a video of a man with a plastic bag over his head in a room with the words, help me, written on the walls. Yes, that's the internet, all right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. You logged on. Back in Michi's story, her friend Yabe receives a phone call of an upsetting voice saying, help me. The number texts his flip phone a grainy image, the same one from Taguchi's computer. He goes to Taguchi's apartment, where an inky black stain on the wall marks where Taguchi hanged himself. He sees a door sealed with red tape and, like any character in a horror movie, takes that as a sign to enter. <laughs> Big mistake. Mm -hmm. In the forbidden room, the figure of a woman congeals. She moves oddly as if in slow motion, but walks toward Yabe. He freaks the fuck out, but can't seem to get away. She peers down at him as he crouches on the floor. When Michi next sees him, he is pale, withdrawn, depressed, unnaturally so. He tells her he saw something horrible. Michi later gets one of the help me calls and goes to check on Yabe. Now he is gone too, and a black stain mars the wall. Back with Kawashima, he's befriended Haraway and one of her fellow grad students, who has made a computer program that simulates something. It looks like an eerie screensaver, full of dots that hover and move slowly, none of the dots ever touching, alone in their own invisible cages. This grad student guy has a theory. The realm of the dead has finite space. All the dead souls are crowded in there, and they've found a way out. A way to invade our world. Through the internet! <laughs> Kawashima doesn't buy any of this, but it's clear he's getting creeped out. In the school library, he sees a ghost lurking behind the stacks. He runs after it, but it disappears. Lucky for him. Haraway continues to try and help Kawashima with his computer, but it's clear she's becoming affected by what seems to be the inevitable invasion of all these inscrutable, sad spirits. She tells him that as a child, she always wondered what it was like to die, how it dawned on her that after death, you might be alone forever. Kawashima, ever pragmatic, tries to shake her out of these dark reflections, insisting there's no ghosts. Anyway, we're both definitely alive. Positive vibes only. <laughs> but his energy doesn't lift her up. She seems to be drifting away from him and tells him what she thinks the ghosts are up to. 
They'll make people live forever by quietly trapping them in their own loneliness. Back with Michi, things are getting worse. She witnesses a woman jump off the roof of a building. There's an epidemic of suicides infecting Tokyo, and people keep disappearing. All of this is having a deeply negative impact on the normally cheerful Junko. Michi tries to comfort her, but we sense her slipping away too. In fact, it's not long before Junko is drawn to a room sealed by red tape. Michi realizes what's happening and goes after her, running into one of the forbidden rooms to save her friend. There she sees Junko, cornered by a ghost in the throes of pure terror. Michi drags her away, taking care to not look directly at the ghost. Michi takes Junko back to her apartment to care for her, but she's gone more or less catatonic, unable to talk or feed herself. Michi refuses to give up on her friend, but it's too late. She turns around after Junko wishes her a sort of goodbye, only to see that her friend is gone and there's a new black stain on the wall. She understandably loses her shit and flees the apartment. Back on the other side of town, Kawashima convinces an increasingly despondent Haraway to flee the city with him. They get on the subway via an abandoned station. They're the only ones on the train, which stops well before the end of the line, the power flickering. Haraway runs out, and Kawashima loses her in the night. She returns to her apartment to grimly contemplate her multi-monitor setup. She turns one on, is compelled to watch more videos, this time of empty apartments. That is, until the Forbidden Room appears. A man with a bag over his head takes it off. He's just some guy. But he takes out a gun and shoots himself. Haraway is upset. But not as upset as she gets when the computer now shows her video of herself, seated at the computer, as though someone is filming her from the hallway. She turns toward the hallway and sees an invisible figure, which she embraces. Kawashima then bursts in, but she's vanished. Tokyo has become <laughs> a ghost town. Full 28 Days Later vibes, the streets abandoned, mm -hmm. smoke billowing from towers here and there. Amongst this wreckage, Kawashima wanders the streets and comes across Michi, head down in her car. The pair team up. Kawashima helps her get her car started, and they decide to get out of Dodge. They stop in an abandoned factory. Why? I'm not actually sure and can't remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they're still trying to solve the mystery or something. There they see a figure wearing a plastic bag over their head. It removes the bag, and it's Haraway. She has a gun. Kawashima tries to talk to her, but she is in some kind of fugue state and shoots herself, falling to the ground, dead. After a respectful amount of time, Michi and Kawashima know they need to go. But the car is out of gas. Kawashima runs back into the warehouse to grab a gas canister he saw. As he's filling it, a door lined with red tape opens behind him. The lid of the gas canister falls into the ground and rolls into the room. Dude, please do not go after it, dude. <laughs> but he is a himbo after all, so he mm. does go into the room. He just earned those highlights <laughs> in that moment, you know. <laughs> I've seen people with that hair these days. It's, it's all coming back. <laughs> capris, if Capris come back, I, I refuse. I refuse to, to live on this earth. There he has a harrowing encounter with a glitchy ghost. Kawashima refuses to acknowledge the ghost, but the ghost insists. He tells him that all of this is real and that death was eternal loneliness. Michi goes after Kawashima and finds him lethargic in a corner. It's clear he's slowly losing the will to live, but he tries to remain strong. They get back in the car and drive through the increasingly apocalyptic-looking streets of Tokyo. Eventually, they find a motorboat and, out of other options, go out to sea. They're taken aboard a small ship, filled with a few other lonely survivors. We see Michi go below deck, where Kawashima leans against a wall. A moment later, only his shadow, a stain on the wall, remains. Cue the end credits in a tonally inappropriate ballad. That's <laughs> yeah. Pulse, a.k.a. Cairo. I hope I'm saying that correctly, 2001. <laughs> I did like that song. It got stuck in my head. 
Yeah, it's it's such a like Japanese end credits. Like it's just like there's always some kind of song like that, and like you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. We're happy now. Yeah, I'm feeling emotions. This is a palate cleanser. Go back (laughs) to your life, which was kind of nice, you know. Yeah. It's also like every anime or like manga show. It's like, you know, all this action happens and then there's like the character like hair blowing in the wind and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, though. It's such a vibe. <laughs> well, speaking of vibes, let's do a feelings check. And this is, <laughs> this nice. is when we share our first experience with the movie and how it makes us feel when we watch it. And Mike, would you want to kick us off? Yeah. I mean, this was a first time watch. There's been a bunch of those lately. It's been kind of... Mm-hmm. I hope, which is kind of nice. It's kind of mm-hmm. kind of nice to kind of get exposed to some new some new films or new to me at least. I did see the English language remake in theaters because <laughs> of my unconditional love for all things Kristen Bell. <laughs> I do love her. I I yeah I I adore her, and it's funny because like the I think that kept me away from seeing this movie. I basically punished this movie for the remake, which has two sequels. By the way, which is crazy to me. So unneeded. It's like this is a contemplative like set piece. You don't Mm -hmm. need any more of this. It made its point. But when you look back at the first uh, decade of this century, like there's so much foreign horror made its way to our shores. I think the like with the advent of DVD and the proliferation of that and discs by mail, like you could discover like French horror was huge, Spanish horror with like Pan's Labyrinth and Wreck, but. There was a definite massive uptick in J-horror and South Korean horror, whether it was like remakes of movies like The Ring and The Grudge or getting exposed to movies like The Tale of Two Sisters, Audition, Old Boy, Juwon, Ringu. Like you could just get your hands on all this stuff like Battle Royale, which God, mm-hmm. I really want to cover that one day. I love that movie. But I definitely avoided watching Pulse because of how bad the original the the remake was structurally this reminded me a lot of juan in that you have these competing narratives that don't really intersect for large parts of the movie it felt very episodic at times and i wonder how because i will admit like it took me about i mean it's two hour move it's an hour and 59 minutes so Strike one, go big or <laughs> I knew, go home. I knew you were going to say this. Uh-huh. I mean, it's you can add 38 more seconds and get over that two hour I, hump, you know? I do think it could have been had 15 minutes or so shaved off of it without oh, absolutely. quality. Mm-hmm. But, absolutely. But, I, yeah. but it did take about three, and not, not really to the fault of the movie, just when I could sit down to watch it. Um, it was just like times of severe exhaustion. Um, which I think maybe added to watching it because this is such a contemplative movie. There's this like melancholy that runs through it from like the very first frame and it's really deliberate. Um, I'm going to kind of save talking more in depth about that to like the movie discussion, but mm-hmm. I think between like the set design or lack thereof, like the how be- muted all the colors are in this movie, like it it definitely sets a tone and it hammers that point home um, throughout. And then just what really struck me is how prescient this movie is in terms of how digital isolation uh, mm-hmm. has become this thing. And in theory, the internet is this thing that kind of interconnects everybody and it can open up worlds to people that otherwise maybe don't interact in the real world so much. But I would 
argue that what it's really done is created like a lot greater sense of isolation um and maybe has also set us up so that we all live within our own bubbles and don't feel comfortable going outside of it so it was an interesting movie i don't know if i love it but i can definitely tip the cap and appreciate what kurosawa is going for here like it's a very ambitious movie Mm -hmm. laura what about you yeah so obviously i I, this was one of my picks i i do love this movie it's very much my jam i can understand why it might be a challenging watch for a lot of reasons for some people it's very bleak it's slow um it's those two things you know yeah (laughs) uh but I, I, for some reason, don't get totally brought down by it. I think it, I vibe with it so hard. It feels like something I would try to make. I, I'm very inspired by J-horror. I, you know, some of the earliest movies that, you know, got me into horror besides Nightmare on Elm Street were like, you know, Ringu, The Grudge, this, mm-hmm. uh, and some, yeah, a, a lot of South Korean and um, even a few Chinese movies. There was The Eye, I think. Like, that was my bread and mm-hmm. butter. Spooky, creepy, slow somebody's in the corner i really like this movie that a lot of it's like practical i mean there's a few moments where you can tell they were using like early digital effects and stuff like the plane crash but overall i think the aesthetics of this film are just gorgeous i love how desaturated it is i love how simple it is it uses just like actors and people they don't make the ghosts look like demonic monsters which mm-hmm. i think is so central to the themes of the film using that early internet aesthetic and those grainy, grainy webcams, like those pixelated on your flip phone that just adds to this griminess and this creepiness that just, ooh, I love it so much. I'm like getting goosebumps talking about it. I could just eat that shit up. Some of the mm-hmm. worst early 2000s fashions. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, I, and I took a screen grab of, of Kawashima like saying, welcome to the internet. <laughs> I just, there's just, so, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, we've talked about this on the show before too. I'm very obsessed with, what the internet has done to us. And I think, like you said, Mike, this is so relevant to right now in the, you know, eternal pandemic lifestyle. I think we all have, I think this just really resonates and it has really stood the test of time mm-hmm. in a way that, I mean, I lo- don't get me wrong. I love the ring. I love the grudge, but I don't think that those had the like conceptual depth that this movie did. I think yeah. this really, un- like the ring, you've got a cursed VHS. It feels more like these are folk tales or urban legends, which is awesome. But this mm-hmm. is like, I'm really trying to say something about society, mm-hmm. man. But in a way that's still, I do still find it like very entertaining, even though it's like slow. I love, I've watched it so many times. I love the characters. I just love everything about it. And it's creepy. It's creepy as fuck. Like mm-hmm. I still get like the chills with some, and I want to like do a haunted house where I put red tape over all the doors and a <laughs> plastic sheeting. There's something about it. So iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, those are my feelings. And I'll get yeah. more into those some of these during the film discussion as well. Yeah. Yeah, this was also a first watch for me. I put the new one on just as a background watch the other day, and I didn't get too far into it before I either fell asleep or just kind of lost interest. Um, but I I don't have a ton of experience with J-Horror, so I wasn't quite sure what to expect with the story on this one. And I ended up really enjoying it. I think I would put it for me in a category – of my own watch list called that I call ASMR horror, like when I really want to physically feel relaxed, you know, which I is slightly different to me than a comfort horror watch, you know, like I personal shopper is one, the new Suspiria remake is one for me where it's just, there's something about it 
the feels very soothing. Um, I think I talked about this a little bit when we watched Carnival of Souls also. Um, There's like, I loved the music for this. I feel like though it is very bleak and depressing, it is very soothing for me. Just the way, one, the, the language that I don't speak, I think allows me to kind of just let sounds wash over me without me having to really engage with what the conversation is, you know? And I, it was just was very peaceful. So I think I would put, I could see myself putting this on as a background watch a lot. Now, the downside for me with that is that I occasionally felt like I was getting lost in the story because I was just get, I would get my little tingly head thing. And then I would be like, oh, I want to take a nap for 10 minutes, you know, and then, and I would come back in. And so I really enjoyed that. Like, I love that, that ASMR feeling, but it did help me or it made it a little bit hard for me to keep track of what was going on because I feel like this movie is more about the mood than it is the plot really you know like I think there is a definite plot and once like I started really thinking through it and listening to the synopsis I can follow that but I think for me what I took the most of is just this mood of depression and um, loneliness and wanting to die and losing your friends to this and I think that is so beautifully captured in this like I want to talk about specific moments but I just loved the visual of like Junko disintegrating you Mm -hmm. know and then it it just was gorgeous I think the like the image of a stain on the wall yes you know and again I don't want to step too much on our movie discussion but I just I loved the visual language of this and how it tied into the themes. And that's what I was really, really captivated by um, much more so than I really cared about what was happening in the story, you know? And I think it was really interesting. The ghosts fucking freaked me out. Right? Like I feel like it's really, <laughs> really effective ghosts, you know, um, something about like the first one really freaked me out. And then the man at the end, especially when you get really close and you uh, see his eyes, yes. I was like, that shot of him getting bigger and bigger and like you can't tell if he's growing or getting closer Mm -hmm. you know and it's like yeah Yeah. and it's I've recently learned about this kind of black and it's called something black and I can't remember what it is but it's like black Fanta black yes yes. I know and and I was like oh my gosh this is so cool and then I went down this whole trail of wanting to watch attack the block again because that has a really unique use of Fanta black but anyway so those were all my feelings I really enjoyed this um there there were a couple of moments that really upset me too especially like when the woman jumps from the building like you see her go all the way down and hit the ground and yeah I'm sure there was some kind of special effects thing but I was not prepared for that like I feel like most of the movie's I'm used to seeing like it cuts away at some point and then we come back in and the body's there, you know, it's like, that's one of my favorite things. Actually, that's one of my favorite things in a movie is someone like the cutaway. (laughs) No, like someone falling from like unexpectedly falling from a building like that and then crashing. The sadness does that. Yeah. I still have, I still have to see it. I'm bracing myself. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I I think that moment is really powerful, and it it doesn't feel like exploitative in this movie the way they because it's again so essential to the themes of the film. It's not like eh, we're just showing suicides. It's like putting you in the headspace of the characters. You know, um, I think yeah. I think it needs to to be there. I agree, and I think like they all all of the deaths feel very authentic. Like they don't feel overly sensationalized. They don't feel 
like glossed over. They feel like what it would actually be like to actually witness this, minus probably some yeah logistical bloody details or something. But it just feels like, especially like in the last woman who shoots herself. I think it's Har Harway. Right, like yeah. mm -hmm. it's like. And then that just struck me because it made me really feel like I was actually watching a real death. You totally. Because it's like, so. that is what death is. It's brutal yeah. and sudden and then it's over and the world just right. keeps marching and it's fucked up. Mm -hmm. I just really quickly, uh, there was one line I was looking for that I saw in the like aggregation of reviews and it's from the Walsh Washington Post. It, something you just said, it, it says, pulse is best enjoyed if it's not questioned too closely. It lives visually in a way it cannot live intellectually. I, mm. I don't necessarily agree with the intellectual line, but I do think it's much, there's something about it that is much more potent as like a visual, like this is what cinema is, man. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, need, yeah. you need the music and, and the visuals and the sound design all coming together to have this effect on you that's like really powerful. And I just love that shit, you know? Yeah. And I loved the music, like especially when the ghosts were around and it was just like Ooh. that voice, like, yes. Ooh. It was just so effective. And there were a couple of times where I'm like, this sounds a little soap opera music-y when yeah. the score was coming in. But other than that, I was really impressed by the sound design and the, the score to it. So yeah. That's another thing you see in, in Japanese films a lot. It's like this really sentimental scores and stuff. Mm -hmm. But also like one last comment on the sound design is like when you'd hear those voices or like when Michi would realized there was a ghost in the room like all the ambient noise would just drop and it was just Ooh. like that lack of room tone and then mm -hmm. you just hear the voice come in like oh bitch it's so good <laughs> that's spooky it's like phantom black as sound yes you know? exactly <laughs> where you're just like void. in a void you know yeah uh-huh Ooh. Uh, I'm getting chills. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, let's move into our mental health issue. And we're continuing our discussion on suicide. So again, trigger warning, we are going to talk about this. Um, I'll give timestamps for when we pick up with the movie discussion. If you want to fast forward through this section, we completely understand. So yeah, Mike, what are we talking about today? So last time out when we talked about uh, suicide, we talked in general terms about the reasons why a person may experience suicidal ideation, why they make an attempt or why they may be successful. Uh, in particular, we talked about major depressive disorder or persistent depressive disorder, dystemia, end of life issues, um, severe mental health issues like psychosis, and also accidental suicide, like erotic asphyxiation. Mm -hmm. This time around, we're going to talk about something that like I was kind of, what struck me when watching Pulse was how intertwined it is with the virtual space and how intertwined it mm -hmm. is with media in particular. And I think Laura did like a really good job, like a really good point. Like when we were texting yesterday talking about how there have been some studies that have pointed to, to the idea that the way that suicide is reported in the media or the way that it is discussed could make a person more prone to uh, at least making an attempt. And I just want to make one differentiation uh, in a little bit when we get to it in terms of like being confrontational and like in a, a clinical or an evaluative setting versus how we see it in the media. So this idea of uh, suicide contagion, and it's this idea that a person experiencing suicidal ideation could possibly be more triggered or more prone to make an attempt if they hear like detailed specifics of a suicide, whether it's from friends, family members, 
uh, or a media report. Um, and what some studies have explored is this idea that when the news media reports suicide, um, they need to be very careful in terms of how they do it. There's this tendency to be very sensationalistic and very speculative and also very repetitive. Like, you, especially we see now, like the news cycle is so short, you will see a story dominate the headlines for 24 to 48 hours and then they just move on with no follow up. And in the case of something like suicide, that repetitive engagement with it, not only from multiple media sources, uh, whether it be television, whether it be news, whether it be getting alerts on your phone or different social media outlets, all of that can have a very adverse effect on a person who's experiencing some suicidal ideation. Yeah. And that's why I, th- I mean, this movie is pretty intense and in, like showing those details, mm-hmm. you know, so it's definitely like not a movie I would recommend to someone on the verge, you no. know, um, mm-hmm. or if you're feeling really, really bleak and depressed already or mm-hmm. having some suicidal ideation, like do not watch this. But and I think the point you're making is important, like what we discussed last week. And I, I referenced this website that I'm can blanking on the name of completely, where it gives you these really concrete steps for mm-hmm. talking to someone that you think are worried about maybe considering suicide. Again, that is very different because to me, I think that the difference there between that or between you know a mental health professional speaking to you is that you are there, you are with that person, and you are trying to provide them with resources for help versus they're alone in a room, like we see in this movie, seeing something in the media, reading a headline. Um, it's very different, you know, and so mm-hmm. often, often when suicides do occur, the media has been trained over time to not provide those details. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for that very reason, there is so a... often are people, why did, how did it happen? You know, you see yeah. these right. kind of comments and it's like, well, there's a reason you're not right. hearing why. Mm-hmm. There was one of the articles on what you just said specifically, like how to how to deal with that. Like there's an article on Bustle uh, in uh, in March of 2021, what to do if the news about suicide is triggering for you or a loved one. And there are like one of the things I went through this year, just kind of as a review, um, there are what's called like first aid responders for mental health now. That's becoming more of a thing. And I actually went and got certified in it. I mean, mostly just as like a refresher. I figured like, why not? Um, but it was like I was the only counselor there. It was mostly teachers, teacher aides, because uh, it was done by the school. So it was like support staff, administration. And the idea was like you could do like a very quick assessment, not diagnose, like you're not there to give any sort of diagnostic impressions, but like be able to ask a few questions and then determine, okay, this could be a serious attempt right now. We need to actually like call services and get uh, immediately get someone evaluated or, okay, like here is where it is in the scale. Let's make some referrals and get some information out there. But also like what you can do as a loved one, it's basically number one thing is, is don't minimize it. Don't be afraid to like actually talk to the person. Don't make it about yourself at that point. Uh, and you actually, you see that in pulse like we'll probably talk about one or two scenes in particular but basically when the news is reporting on suicide they really need to make sure that the reporting is simply factual and concise Mm -hmm. and it should just be those two things 
don't be overly simplistic. Don't give out overly sensitive information, too many details, or engage in speculation. Just just the facts, as Dragnet would say, factual <laughs> and concise. Say like the inverse of sense the inverse of this where you sensationalize suicide through media depiction but the inverse of that is being responsible and accurate and that actually has shown that it can help raise awareness lead those that are suffering to actually seek out help uh lead friends community members and other family members to recognize oh i'm starting to recognize some signs right now in a person and you offer some assistance when it comes to like experiencing suicidal ideation so you know, a couple things that the, the articles I've read recommended and training recommends is like, if you are someone experiencing this, like tell somebody, I can't tell you how many times I've done an assessment and I'm like, well, what are your support networks like? Like who, do, what are your social relationships? Who do you talk to in times of stress or you're experiencing feelings like this? And the answer is nobody, uh, mm-hmm. which is scary log out like if it's picked in particular it's like news stories or social media like don't be afraid to log out like just delete the app if you have to put your phone away you know if you're a younger person maybe give the phone to mom and dad for a little bit let them hold on to it if it's like maybe a partner you know maybe you're gonna delete your history and then give your phone to your partner for a little bit you know and then say like can you hang on to this me if you feel like you can't keep yourself from watching And then just kind of increase your self-care, like find the activities that you do that kind of bring you some comfort and kind of help you regulate your moods, like start increasing those. You know, one of the things that Laura, you were talking about and like one of the studies, there is one that specifically looked at like 13 reasons why Mm -hmm. uh, the television Mm -hmm. show. Yes, yes, that was a big controversy about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is like one of the... I guess few Netflix shows that hasn't been canceled yet in the past month. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. I mean, who knew flooding the market with like 4,000 shows a month would help you go broke really quickly, but you know, mm, what yes. do I know? <laughs> so from the journal of the American Academy of child and adolescent psychiatry, this is a report published in February, 2020. There was basically a, before the show came out, there was speculation like, Hey, Depending on how suicide is depicted in the show, it could lead to a spike in suicide rates among adolescents. So they did a study and they, you know, measured the suicide rate pre and post the show dropping for children and adolescents and young adults from 10 to 17, then like 18 to 59, and then 59 and above. And they also measured like the homicide rate around those groups as well during that time to show that it wasn't like if if the homicide rate is going up as well, you could maybe say this is caused to some external factors. And they found that the homicide rate had like a negligible, if any, change. And what they were speculating on is, number one, the popularity of the show, where it was like the third most binged watched show of that year. The graphic nature of it, like I think that begins with like a how to kill yourself type of deal. Like it goes step by step through the process. And then just the binge model itself, like consuming media in large doses of like two hours or more consecutively. All of Mm. those things they thought may contribute. And what they found was like in April of 2017, like the month of the show dropping, there was about a 29% spike in suicide for 10 to 17 year olds. 
it hit like the highest rate it had in about five years. It's still a very low rate. I mean, I don't want to be alarmist and be like, when you say 29%, you're like, that's a huge jump. Right. And then you mm-hmm. look at the actual number, it's like 0.57 youths per 100,000. Um, so yeah. it's still a very low number, but it's alarming to see that much of a jump. It was the highest monthly rate uh, of the study. And what they found was like pre the show dropping, the uh, mean number was on average about 116 adolescents a month committed suicide. And post that, it jumped up to about 150. So that's a pretty big increase. And again, like no significant rate in the homicide rate. Also, like st- statistically, like insignificant rates for yeah. the increase in adults in the older population. And the speculation was a who the show was aimed for, but also you know, your brain formation. Like when you're not 18 years old, your brain is still developing. Your the choices you make, the feelings you feel, all of those things kind of contribute to sometimes like acting out behaviors or not acting in the most rational of ways or feeling increasingly isolated like and nobody understands you one of the things that surprised them was they figured because the protagonist was a young woman that the rate would be higher in young women than it was to young men mm-hmm. and it actually the inverse was true uh young men young males committed suicide at a much higher rate uh, the rate among young young women was almost not as like a 0. 0.10 jump or something along those lines so the spike was kind of driven mostly by young males. And so they're like in the access to firearms, like that's typically methods that men would use at a higher rate than women to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I definitely think the points they're making about the show are accurate. Like mm-hmm. that regardless of the stats, you know, these things should not be constructed in such a fashion in a show aimed at children i think it's worth having shows that discuss suicide but mm-hmm. to me it's like the graphic nature the step by step it's also like i think i can tell that they're trying to you know account for the causation you know correlation doesn't cause causation thing with the homicide stat mm-hmm. but it's like i would say further studies required you know but I, I, you know it makes me think yeah. of the movie like the virgin suicides that was really mm-hmm. popular when i was mm-hmm. young and i watched constantly as a depressed kid you know and i i don't honestly remember how detailed it gets but i'd be curious to like do historical data you know examinations yeah. like when that movie was popular what were the what was the impact on yeah. rates if any or you know this kind. Whenever I see these kind of like um, stats-based studies, I always, which are very common in psychology, because it's so hard to do like controlled studies of these things. I'm always like, I want to see more. We need more data. Give me more data. You need more. You need a large (laughs) enough sample size. You need to make sure. Yeah. What's the margin Mm -hmm. of error that you're using? You know, and what are and you can maybe also get some qualitative details as well. Like I'd like to see, you know, what were you know. Who was, you know, the persons watching the show, did they have any prior attempts? You know, what, what diagnosis, things like what diagnoses did they possibly have before that? I'd like to see some more clinical data as well before determining for sure, like, this is what it is. And also, like, it's hard because, you know, we obviously right now we're looking at what happened in Uvati like a week and a half, two weeks ago now as we Uh record this. And, you know, there's an increased, as always when this happens, like there's an increased need 
to look at gun control again and you can look at hard data that says this is when the assault weapon ban went into effect here's what the rate was then versus when the brady bill basically lapsed for lack of a better term and the increase since then and the other side of the coin argues that well it's media consumption which i think is bullshit and you got to look at all right is it media consumption or is it is it the it's the guns prevalent? like it's the guns or what it's like people. that the media consumption may cause 15 people to be more likely but if they don't have the gun then right. you know it's, right. a, it's i think they somebody made right. the point on twitter of like canada has all the same cultural exposures that we do more or mm-hmm. less and they they don't they've had like 10 mass shootings and since the rob elementary shooting we've had like 15 or 18 mass shootings something like that and i do think the similar the contagion effect does also apply to to gun violence like of that nature because those are often just you what see I would clusters call violent extremely violent ways of achieving suicide also you know because there's almost always a suicide element or um Mm -hmm. something it's like an attempt to get suicided by cop but if the cops won't come in to suicide you you gotta you know what i mean it's like you often see clusters of mass shootings that occur i mean right a week before the rob elementary school there was the shooting at the market in buffalo yes it's like and it starts to make you feel it like the characters in this movie like everything is like getting fucking crazy and you're like what is happening but these these things do have a contagious effect and especially when people are being radicalized online by you know white supremacist ideas or by god only knows you know so it's it's just yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i i i just it warrants caution when it's like well let's blame Yes. Let's blame media outlets because I think that just becomes an easy thing to scapegoat rather than totally, look at. Totally. And, you know, in the I would say in the past five years, it's been a very popular rallying cry to say, well, it's obviously a mental health issue. Yet at the same time, the persons that are typically making that argument are the first ones who want to cut funding for mental health and yes. don't see Curious. it as something that needs to be uh addressed in any sort of restorative way um Mm -hmm. and also want to remind folks that persons who suffer from most mental health disorders are much more likely to be the victims of violence than they are to be the perpetrators of absolutely violence Um, that's what i was just trying to google up because i saw a very neatly mm -hmm. presented set of stats about this where like Actually, mental illness or, you know, on the record, mental illness is not a predictor of gun violence. It can be a predictor of suicide, obviously, with these kind of mass shootings. There's like actually no correlation there. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so it's just like it's just another way that society stigmatizes mental illness while scapegoating the actual cause of these things. I would say you're much more likely to find a correlation between access to firearms and a higher prevalence of like a successful suicide attempt like absolutely that having the means mm-hmm. and that's why one of the primary questions i ask and i did a risk assessment this week you know the first thing i ask is flat out like do you want to kill yourself uh, and the idea and i think we may have talked this a little bit of last time but it's the idea that like you have to like tiptoe around it or you might trigger the person it's like no like if a person isn't serious about it then they're like putting it in those flat terms is much more likely to be like nope i am Mm -hmm. not but then you determine like okay do you have a plan what is the plan and do you have the means to carry it out um Mm -hmm. just also made a note like super quick here 
the media coverage of Robin Williams suicide, like that was also something that was like sensationalized, really irresponsible reporting. You know, it came out much later that he was suffering from some pretty debilitating mental illnesses um, and some severe physical and cognitive declines. The following five months following post his death saw a, about a 10% spike in overall suicides. It translated to about 1,850 more deaths. So that's just another, uh, just a little bit more data there. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, I had something social media and suicide. I think we'll maybe like integrate that more into the movie discussion because I think that might be appropriate rather yeah. than have me ramble on here for longer. <laughs> Well, and speaking of the movie discussion, let's let's peel off the red tape and go into the forbidden room. No, don't do that. Of our, I mean, no, don't. We'll, pe- we'll put the red tape on. Kept, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Which is, I'll say, I kept thinking like the forbidden door, which is a pro wrestling thing where all these companies, oh, interpromotional companies, and one of them is New Japan Pro Wrestling, where like members of All Elite Wrestling will wrestle for New Japan and vice versa. So I kept waiting for like, john moxley or cm punk to show up in the mm-hmm. movie because it was the forbidden door but it was the forbidden mm-hmm. that would be incredibly jarring if they did nerd <laughs> okay sorry <laughs> um well one of the things that because we do see several suicides in this film but another thing that we see i think is this concept of the stain on the wall which i thought was really interesting and like evocative and a really like unique way of showing kind of the feeling that this might leave behind you know um like and I thought it was interesting because the first time we see a stain on the wall is after the first friend hangs himself and I you know I was legit this might sound a little grim but like legit was thinking maybe that's a an actual stain on the wall from a body like I don't know how long he was uh-huh. there um but then I think what we come to see is that this is like the lingering effect and like this is like the body it almost feels like a memory in the room yes. and I thought that was just so interesting thinking about the people that witnessed this or the people that were friends of the people that had um killed themselves and or that had died and that they every time they walk in that room they're still going to see that body or that memory and I thought that was just really beautifully represented and the first time I think is when Yabe I hope I'm saying it right walks in and he sees the stain and then he sees the friend and then mm-hmm. he sees the stain again and it was just really yeah. unique you know there's a few moments where like you briefly see the person where the stain was again like I completely agree as like a visual metaphor for trauma for loss for grief it's like mm-hmm. incredible yeah. Well, and then later we see Junko. I don't think we actually see her die. Like she just becomes the stain on the wall. And and I don't know if stain is right quite the word, but it's not quite shadow. It's, like it's an somewhere. Echo. Yeah, yeah. It's somewhere in between. Um, and I think it's the same thing with um Hirash Himbo. Um, we can call him Himbo Boy. 
Kawashima. I'm going hard on that pronunciation and hoping it's correct. I'm just yeah. confidently <laughs> saying Kawashima. If you know, please let us know, yes. listeners. We, they said it a bazillion times in the movie, you know, and I'm know. trying to listen and it sounds a little different every time. And I'm like, you know, they're they're blending. The Japanese thing, too, is like they're calling them by their surnames and sometimes they'll yeah. use like part of their first name and their surname. And so I'm like trying to listen for these pronunciations and going like, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he doesn't actually like I had a hard time kind of figuring out the very ending of this. Like, I guess he has died as well. Yeah. Um, cause he's been kind of, but it was just interesting the way she framed it. She was like, I'm here with my best friend in the world. Mm-hmm. And then he's sitting there and he turns into the stain, which I just thought was that honestly, it, that was weird just because like they knew each other for all of a couple days. Mm-hmm. So it was really, yeah, I had a like, hard time kind of making sense of that statement based on like what had gone on in the movie. I felt like it was, I mean, I have a very specific read on this because I've seen this movie several times, you know? Um, And again, it's just my read on it. I'm not saying this is correct, but for, I think the best friend thing is kind of a throwaway line, but Mm -hmm. I also think it was like her way of mentally coping with this situation. Like she's almost made an imaginary friend version of him Mm -hmm. because he's gone. Um, yeah. And and she and he was the last one she was with, and she really, you know, they like trauma bonded and felt like, okay, mm-hmm. we're gonna get out of this together, you know. And he he his character was so like over the top, chivalrous and vibrant, and like I deny death, like you know, mm-hmm. we're gonna get through this, fuck this shit, you know. And yeah. and I think it's really important that he still succumbed to it because. I think the fairy tale ending would have been them like escaping together, and like everyone else is fucked, but we're fine. I think mm-hmm. it like he his his whole like denial of everything and being like tor- sort of naive toward it I think made like it, it's inversely like it's like I read it as like people who are always like it's like Rob Lowe's character in Parks and Rec like everything's mm-hmm. gonna be fine but mm-hmm. actually they have this incredible darkness within them yeah and, and because they're human and when you when you're compensating so hard it sort of tells me that like there's some real pain inside of you and and these characters are all kind of like we don't really learn their backstories we don't learn much about them besides what's unfolding in front of us so that was how i read that and i also like there's scene earlier when he's talking to harway and trying to like talk her out of her despair before she goes full forbidden room on him um it felt very much to me like when you're in the depths of depression and someone is telling you kind of glibly like everything happens for a reason it's yeah. you know you're it's good yeah. to be you it's important to be alive we're alive you know um and yeah, it's seems- plenty of fish in the sea yeah and know. it and it like that perspective just seems so stupid to you and it seems so mm-hmm. like they're just missing so, they're like deluding themselves even if in reality like you shouldn't kill yourself there are reasons to stay alive you know but like the that that dynamic to me was really interesting and then the fact that he still succumbs to it and still passes away or passes mm-hmm. into whatever hellscape of spirits that they're in. Um, I don't know. It just felt, again, like thematically important to me. Mm-hmm. And Larry, you mentioned like Ryosaki's avoidance of all things pertaining to death. Like He's the one I wrote down this quote when he is talking to the other grad student about what the ghosts are. Like the, basically it's the dawn of the dead when there's no more room in hell. Yep. 
argument mm-hmm. um, that these ghosts have found, like there is no more room in the spiritual realm. So they have found a way to come back to earth to kind of invade this mm-hmm. one. And because their loneliness is so all encompassing and so persistent that I don't know if it's almost like, I don't think they're necessarily um, malignant, but they need to do something in order to relieve themselves of this in a, eternal pain that they feel um and ryosaki speculates maybe in 10 years while we're all still alive they'll create a drug that prevents death and he's Mm -hmm. the one throughout the film that is like i don't believe it this can't be happening and even if i saw a ghost i wouldn't believe it like he's not able to accept that death is actually a natural part of life's cycle Mm -hmm. and once he is confronted with the horror of everything between all the disappearances between the emptiness of the world around him and then also losing um haru at the end of the movie like that is when he succumbs like he's basically if there was one thing that was keeping him going it was this kind of bond he had made very quickly with haru and once that's been removed like there's nothing really left for him again and that to me was like a pretty it was a very real way in terms of looking at how depression often feels. This does often feel like your lifelines have been cut off from you mm-hmm. and that you're completely isolated. I thought the subway scene was the, probably one of the most important ones in the movie in terms of like driving home the sense of isolation because I didn't get the sense that he was saying like everything will be better and it'll be fine. Like, I've said before, like one of the worst things you can say to someone when they're experiencing an episode is like, well, other people have it worse. It's like, well, no oh God, shit. I like, I, shit. It's, yeah. it's um, you know, like trauma isn't a competition where it's like, let's see who has the most of it. And then that person wins a crippling disability. Yay. <laughs> but he was like, look, like you're not alone. And he was right. Like he was like, you aren't alone. Like I'm here for you. Uh, I will be there for you. Like you can rely on me. And mm-hmm. he proves it. Like when she disappears, like he tears ass after her. Like he doesn't yeah. mm-hmm. think of himself at that point. Um, but I think that's why I kept calling him a sweet himbo. Yeah. It's like his intentions mm-hmm. are so good right. and he's trying so hard, you know, but what that demonstrated was like, you can be surrounded, not let alone have one. You can be surrounded by persons who are going to be there for you, but, sometimes it just you lose that ability to kind of reach out and have that shared connection which is why i think the central metaphor of the film Mm -hmm. is so powerful for me you know because i've never seen something that quite so maybe the night house is the only other one that so accurately captures that feeling of being completely cut off and all the sound goes out of the room everything goes out and you're Mm -hmm. hearing this voice in your ear like that that is such a just such a powerful metaphor, you know, and, and that it's so well executed and putting you in that headspace. It's like, if you don't take the events of the film so literally, it is just transporting you to that horrible, horrible, dark place, you know? And, and the idea of that, like death isn't an escape from it, but like, it's actually trapping you in that loneliness and that emptiness forever. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And the, one of the scenes that I found really kind of upsetting was the when he's in the arcade and then all of a sudden there's just nobody there except this kind of shadow image of Mm -hmm. death yeah 
Yeah, and it reminded me a lot of um, the in the Upside Down and Stranger Things. Like, there's this one scene in season two where Will is in an arcade and no. suddenly, you know, and it's just like you could be surrounded by all of this life and this bustle, but if you're not emotionally able to connect with anybody, it doesn't matter. And it, it can still, like, I thought it was just such a, a really beautiful way of representing how isolating it can feel mm -hmm. to to get stuck in this depression you know it doesn't matter how much your friends are checking on you I mean it does I don't want to say it doesn't matter but it like feels, you, that's how it feels at the moment to you you know right right yeah and that's probably how it could feel on the outside trying to help somebody you know and trying to check in on them and it, it just feels like like Junko and um, and Mishi at the beginning when they're trying to check on Yabe, they're like, he's just ignoring us. Mm -hmm. What do we what do we do? And it's not about them. They're not mad. That's something that I've I occasionally have to remind Corey. It's like, this is not about you. I'm really trying to figure my own shit out and connect with you. And it's just hard sometimes, you know. Feels like your head is really crowded and to think about reaching out to another person, you know. Sometimes it, you it, can't see that other person, you know. Exactly. There, there's a line early in the film where they say something like, he never said anything, so how could we have done anything? Yeah. Um, which I thought was just just very poignant, um, mm -hmm. I guess. And uh, the, the early parts of the movie when they're all kind of like impacted by the first friend's death is, I think, really you know very felt very real to me like everybody mm -hmm. is you know there's michi who's sort of internalizing it then there's the one guy going like oh what could we have done what could we have done and then there's the one friend junko who's like we just have to move on like you know like i felt like that is like the the reactions you see in a group of friends you know um represented mm -hmm. pretty well mm -hmm. yeah and so when it happens subsequently to each of them it's it's so upsetting you know yeah yeah. And I mean, I can understand that from Jenko too. Like sometimes there have been times in my life when I've had friends that are in very low places and they need me to reach out. And I am also in a very low place. And it's just, it's really hard for me to find that emotional strength sometimes to yeah. kind of reach out. It's just, it's you hard. Know, it's, it's really it hard. hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this movie, though, I feel I, I wouldn't say it's uplifting. I feel like there is a comfort and I feel like this movie sees that. Yes. You know, that's I think why it's comforting to me, because sometimes I'll watch things like this, like repeatedly and be like, why am I doing this? And it's because they make me feel seen or heard, you know, and, and this movie yeah. just feels like something out of my brain, you know, mm -hmm. and, yeah, I, and I totally. appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, let's see. I wanted to talk about the images on the screen also. And I know, Mike, you mentioned talking about the digital space and feeling isolated. Um, one of the things that I found really one of the most chilling parts is with the image of the person with the bag over their face mm -hmm. and they are like slowly taking it off. And the first time you they don't ever get it all the way off. And it's hard to really even tell what it is. And I just thought that one, they were so creepy but just this like snapshot of loneliness is what I kind of got from this. Like these people alone in their rooms, like just kind of at their lowest, you know? Yeah. There's something voyeuristic about it as well. Mm -hmm. There's something about it felt like you were invading somebody's most intimate, but also darkest moments. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think it's something that a lot of us wrestle with. I mean, Number one, there's this idea, typically on social media, we're all to a, 
a large degree, like we're the main characters in our own stories. Like we're all our own mm-hmm. protagonists. We think the world revolves around us in a lot of ways. And what you see with social media is this tendency to like put your best, your best possible self out there for other people to see, which is why this was so frightening. Cause it was definitely persons at their lowest and Mm -hmm. showing like no compunctions about letting a person see that. Mm -hmm. But I think you hit it pretty well when you said like the loneliness of those moments. Cause I think that we Mm -hmm. do feel much less connected to like the physical world around us as we get more and more engrossed in kind of the virtual space. Like I've said before, like I took me deleting a bunch of apps off my phone to kind of pull out of the funk I was in because I was just spending Mm -hmm. way too much time on there and not really appreciating what was going on around me. Yeah, it's it's a paradoxical thing, right? Which is the nature of the internet, this thing that was supposed to connect all of us. And you can be talking to someone in China when you're sitting in Chicago or whatever, you know. Um, but I do think it absolutely has this isolating effect when it's used because you, because people, you're seeing these curated versions of people and curated lives and com- and you naturally compare yourself to it. It's It naturally gives you a feeling of, of being othered or being like the person on the outside looking in. And I think, that, like you said, this movie was so like prescient and saying, like, because that was at the time, 2001, right? It was right after Y2K. It was right after all this, like, what is this? It was at this border that is so essential to my life of when there wasn't the internet and then there was and how much mm-hmm. that, that, that shift was so like insane and radical to think about living through that is, is actually really crazy. It's like being living during the time of the printing press, but like mm-hmm. magnified eightfold, you know, and, and the, it did some kind of psych- like psychic damage. I really do think that. And yeah, I don't have a greater point here. Just that that's, I think this, what makes this so relevant to right now. And then we're all in our little zoom boxes, you know? Right. Well, I don't think we were ready to maybe process the deluge of information yep. that we get on a daily basis. Like, I don't think we have the, t- I mean, you see something and it's a, you see this as a, a way to manipulate media where persons will create a story and then create like fake news agencies around it that then spread the story. And before you know it, it's being reported on not necessarily as fact, but it's like a story of interest by major yeah. outlets. And then it has to be commented on. And even when it's retracted, what doesn't stick is the retraction. What sticks mm-hmm. is the story itself. And I don't mm. think we have the capability to fully wean out um, what is real and, uh, <laughs> you know, what is this flooding the market. Is Are my cats, like, howling in the background? Is that being picked up? We heard, I heard one meow, a tiny meow. I didn't mm. hear yeah. any others. That's fine, though. I, 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 I like hearing that. I like It's know? cute. Yeah. And I was going to say, a real-life example of that just played out. And is still playing out with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I mean, I can't tell you how fucking enraged I am by the way. And and it's like all the facts are out there and have been extensively reported mm-hmm. on. But Depp's people hired a PR agency to mm-hmm. pay for paid media placements of headlines that made Amber Heard look bad, that exaggerated things she was doing. And it had a cascaded effect. And like, yeah. I do think like that kind of media literacy needs to be it's clear to me that people don't have it, you know, and right. that, like we're just sitting in this stew of, of information and, and it, it both weaponizes people against each other. It, it, you know, it biases people against 
people that are in mm-hmm. a li- literal trial that's happening in front of our eyes. You know, it's just the damage. It can't be understated. Yeah. Working in yeah. a school, we talk a lot about what really needs to be taught versus what is taught. And mm-hmm. I would say, like, if there were three things, I would recommend that any junior high through high school adds to their core curriculum. It would be media literacy, social emotional learning, um, and basically financial responsive, like basically like finances. How do you Mm -hmm. balance a checkbook? How do you make a budget? How do you fill out a credit? You know, how do you, you know, what does a credit card do? Right. I didn't know. know? Yeah. And how not to be taken advantage of by this system Mm -hmm. that is designed to pit us against each other, make you emotionally insecure and screw you over financially. It's like those three things are are related. They really are. And we're, when we we're think based... that you are just going to be able to pick them up, we think that it's like common knowledge and yeah. it's not. It's absolutely you know? not. Right, right. And I feel like one of the things I think is interesting, I've been thinking a lot about with the internet and my time online is like, I I just feel like I've lost the sense of what is real, you know, yes. like, yes. and I mean, I'm looking at the three of us, like we've never met in real life, yeah. you know, and, but, and I, that's one of the things that I think is great about the internet is we're able to have, like, we're almost at a hundred episodes and mm-hmm. we've done it all online. But on the other hand, like I've been working from home for about two years and tomorrow I have to go into the office for the first time. And I'm like, Oh my God, what is like, I'm going to be sitting with people and like, <laughs> It's just, I feel like there's in my mind, what is real is on this screen because that's what people can see and everything below that I could be doing whatever I want and nobody knows. And I mean, I say that probably sounds weird, but like, I like oftentimes in meetings, I'll be checking my phone or I'll be like working on something else. And I think one of the things my podcast the other day was mentioning is like, I think it's had a negative effect on my attention span too, because there's always another screen I can look at and I can get information with and to kind of tie it into my mental state. Like, I think I've lost some of my ability to like sit with uncomfortable thoughts or like distress tolerance. Like mm-hmm. I remember the first panic attack I ever had was when I was watching Snapped and a commercial came on and I had nothing to distract myself with. And all of a sudden, just all of these negative thoughts came flooding in and I didn't, I couldn't sit with it, you know? And so I think we are so used to being able to distract ourselves with these things that feel real but aren't that we have it's harder to deal with the real feelings that are in our heads if we don't have that constant distraction, you know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as someone who's been working from home also, I mean, yeah, I some recently had my first work trip where I was encountering these people that I'd only seen on Zoom screens and it was jarring, it was weird. I yeah. mean, you get you adapt to it pretty quickly, but it's just like that that what you said about not knowing what is actually real anymore is a feeling I have every day. And sometimes I'm walking mm-hmm. around and I'll have this moment of like dissociation and be like, whoa, the ground is too close. My legs are too short. What's real? And, right, and it, right. it's weird. It's like that didn't ever used to happen to me. I feel insane, you know, and it, it's just, yeah, I don't like it at all. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like sometimes with writing or with podcast stuff, it's like in my brain, it's not real until it's been posted on Twitter, you know, and that's hard like I don't want to I don't want to live in that that space where it doesn't count if it's like if I can't prove it or if it doesn't get a like or something it's just totally a lot of pressure and it feels 
in a way it feels very connected. Like I've met a lot of really fantastic people on Twitter and through social media, but it's also really isolating, you know, and it yeah. leads to like, if I don't get that, like, I can't tell right. myself, oh, they're just asleep, you know, cause I can't see that. I just see the absence of interaction, you know? I like my wife and I were talking the other day. Cause I was just like watching old, like concert footage, like old, like punk show footage and watching kids go off for lack of a better term. And it was awesome. And I'm like, I miss that. And you go to a show now and like everyone's on their phone. You know what I mean? Like they're recording their concert they're at on their phone so they can watch a crappy video of it with like poor sound later on rather than like being there and appreciating the moment. And yeah. it's just like, you know, there are a lot of great things technology has brought us and I don't want to be like old man yelling at a cl <laughs> yeah. uh, cloud, but there are just certain things like I really miss about not having 24 seven access to like every form of entertainment. And I know mm -hmm. we're kind of getting off the topic of pulse. Um, well, I think we are and we aren't because I feel like like it kind of relates to that screensaver kind of program. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, I found this really interesting. Like she said, if they get too close, they die. And it's almost like these dots are getting swallowed mm -hmm. by each other. But if they get too far apart, then they're drawn back together. And I yeah. just thought that I just could have been kind of puzzling mm -hmm. that over in mm -hmm. my mind. You know, I, I think that like that metaphor was so good because I feel like the writer director was puzzling over these same ideas and what the Internet could mean. And, and he arrived at yeah. that idea. And there's something it's like a poem or something. It sort of exists beyond language. There's some, you feel truth sometimes and that metaphor yeah. feels true. And mm -hmm. I, I can't quite verbalize why or do a better job explaining it than that, that idea does. But I do think it just, it, it really stuck with yeah. me and it, it continues to be proven correct over and over, you know? Mm -hmm. One of the things that hit watching this was the aesthetic of the movie. I think Kurosawa mm -hmm. made some very deliberate choices uh, the tenement building in particular, like how it was just this giant concrete block with, when you look at the way the stairs are designed, it almost looked like prison bars at times when you're growing up it. Um, talk about brutalist architecture. Yes. I would call, I'm not sure if it actually is, but I would call it just brutalist. completely minimal. Um, the a lot of use of concrete, the only dash of color is really the red tape. And that red Loved tape that. is being used to keep something in. You know, mm -hmm. usually you use red because you want to draw attention to something. You want to add like a splash of color in detail. And here it's being used to like constrict and to keep something trapped inside. Um, you really feel the crushing loneliness and separation of everybody in this movie in a real and jen you mentioned the arcade like being empty mm -hmm. it's in particular I mean, that being like in japan like i my understanding is arcades are still pretty much a huge social gathering place like they're it's not like it, here where you don't necessarily see arcades in as many places as you used to like they're still a pretty huge phenomena and to mm -hmm. see it empty like that was like, and knowing that was such a like jarring visual. Um, I really, really appreciated that. I really dug that. Yeah, I, that that whole sequence. I mean, I just thought it was really cool. <laughs> like, yeah, the, 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 and 
the visuals of uh, I agree like the desaturated and the reds are the only thing is such a again iconic thing but the, the the sort of digital outlines of these ghosts like you see it in the arcade they're like twitching and glitching along the edges and then that ghost that the our himbo encounters at the end is is an even more exaggerated version of that I just if nothing else that looked cool as hell and it like really yeah. it didn't age poorly like some bad CGI or something because it's it's using that absence of information that you can't quite look at them clearly like, like a you know glitching or you know highly pixelated video from a you know an early camera phone like uh, it just yeah. it's very effective well it's that here but also not here you know like one of the ones that really struck me was the the man walking across the room where he just kind of disappear parts of his body disappear over mm -hmm. and over again mm -hmm. and that's what I think just the whole concept of these ghosts kind of bleeding into our world is interesting because I feel like that is a way that depression can make you feel and we talked about this when we talked about depression particularly like Mungo I feel like where you can just feel like you're fading you know and I feel like this is kind of the inverse of that this is like the other side of it and I think like if I think about the red tape as kind of a metaphor for what where the characters are, that feels like the end stage, not the end stage, but like right before the end stage where they're like, no, I'm not really trying to get over this anymore. Like this is I'm closing myself off because mm -hmm. I'm ready to just be done, you know, which I think was and it's red and it's, you know, that's the color of blood and that's the color of like this violent thing that is about to happen. And I just thought it was really interesting. It took me a minute to figure out that that was what that was, you know, I was like, why are they taping this door? Why does everybody have red tape? What's going on? But I thought that was really interesting. And the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit was this concept of living forever in loneliness and that that is maybe not what that that is the opposite of death or I, I'm not exactly sure how I kind of read it but that to me felt a little bit like romanticizing this kind of idea of I'm gonna live I'm gonna really embrace my sadness and my loneliness and it's gonna make my death something bigger than it actually is which I think is a way that I could see myself if I were having thoughts like kind of getting to a point where I was actually going to act, you know, is that this is going to be different. This is going to mean something that people are going to see. It's not just going to be that I'm dead, you know? Right. Which is the way your brain will sort of whisper you into taking a, making a terrible choice, you know? And it's exactly. Like, because as this movie shows, when you're, when somebody dies, it's just brutal and quick and then you're gone, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was, uh, I've had this article in Inverse, which is not a publication I'm super familiar with, but it was a look back written in 2020 about Pulse. And they pointed out this thing that I sort of forgot about, that there was uh, this phenomenon in Japan called hikikomori, which refers to acute social withdrawal. And that it was like a big thing that was in the media, whether or not it was actually like as prevalent a phenomenon as they thought or not, like around the time of this movie. And um, this does quote a uh, BBC article from 2019 saying that 541,000 people in Japan, roughly 1.5% of the total population, were willingly living in such isolation, basically like how we all lived in the pandemic, just totally withdrawing. And there's, I know if you Google around about it, you'll find photos of these apartments and like, and then, you know, sometimes 
people taking photos of their own apartments. Sometimes people discovered dead in these apartments. And it's just such a like creepy thing that also like the internet enabled. Mm-hmm. And it, and so I think that that was just swimming in the zeitgeist when they made this movie also. Um, mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where like, you know, of course, you know, where certain languages will give it a name and, mm-hmm. and they called it Hikikomori. And that is just, it just feels very relevant in a way that I can't completely connect the dots with. Mm-hmm. What do we, I kind of wanted to ask what we make of, oh shit, Har- Haru. Haraway is how I Haraway. I don't again. Sorry. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but I listened to it over and over again. Yeah. And was like, I think that's how they're saying it. That sounds good. Haraway, when she sees the person behind her, first of all, that freaked me out. I thought it was oh my god, extremely effective. You know, yes. Um, but what what do we kind of make of her seeing this nothingness and embracing it? And it reminded me a lot of the Night House, which I think is does this really great job of personifying emptiness or personifying like the nothing or the void of depression and I guess maybe now that I'm talking it through I guess this is another version of that you know it's like that my loneliness is going to keep me company you know that that's that's also how I read it I thought it was interesting in that moment they didn't show us the spirit like they did and all these other things I'm assuming because what she saw on her screen like was the spirit like the, yeah. the scene the guy shoot himself was like the equivalent of all these other people when they get cornered by the ghost and then she was truly embracing the void like that that is mm-hmm. how i read it yeah you know what's odd is when you see haru in other parts of the movie she's not isolated mm-hmm. and i think one of my critiques of the movie is that the characters like go like it's such a severe shift in behavior and i guess that's kind of the point is like these ghosts have have done that so maybe it's not a fair criticism but she goes from someone that has a fairly large social network like her affect her presentation or not of someone that is depressed like you don't really see any sort of like signs of it on screen uh, and yes, there maybe there's some hidden world there you don't see, but you can really only go by what's presented. And very mm-hmm. quickly, like she is given over to hopelessness. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of I, interesting seeing the onset of that so quickly. I I do think I mean this movie blurs the lines between things that are almost representations of reality and things that are these like supernatural occurrences because of the ghosts. And and that's the danger you run into when your movie is so reliant on metaphor, I think, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I, but I do think it's like same thing with Junko. Like she was this happy go lucky person um, even more so than Michi. And she gets, as soon as she sees the face of death, essentially it like it, it is, it's like a very, it is feels very like the ring like in that way where it was yeah. like, once you see the spirit, like it's, you know, it's over for you. It's an inevitability. Yeah. Um, also with Junko, I found her sort of, deg- you know, dissolution um, really emotionally powerful because it comes on so suddenly. But then she's like, there's this moment where she uh, is in Michi's apartment and Michi leaves her side to do the dishes. And suddenly she goes from being silent to like crying and like reaching out for Michi. Mm-hmm. And it's like she can't stand to be physically alone for even a second because Mm -hmm. the pain that she's in is so intense Mm -hmm. Uh, like she senses that eternal loneliness coming down on her 
Yeah. And so I found that moment like really disturbing because it's like it speaks to how awful what they're feeling is. Yeah. Yeah. I had a breakup um, weekend in college and I've talked about it before because I just binged Clue over and over and over again. But I had friends that would were coming and sitting with me because I was just so low. And it's like even just the awareness of somebody being there you know and I think it's interesting that it is when she turns around like she turns her attention away she doesn't even leave that that's when she really feels that emptiness you know um and one of the things I also wanted to talk about and I thought was really interesting is the when they get calls and the people are just saying help help but the voices are like digitized you know and I don't really have a point to that I just thought it was a really really interesting and kind of poignant way of showing a call for help that is tinged with this but you can't quite put your finger on what it is you just know something is off with your friend you know yes yes the the voice recordings and the and like the hearing the help me's and stuff again just very effective very like i get chills hearing it It, because it feels like whatever they did with the audio mixing like it's in your ear you know yeah Mm -hmm. and it's it's creepy Yeah. Yeah. And I think another interesting thing I saw, this is really the last thing that I have that I want to talk about. Um, And I don't really have a bigger point. I just think it's interesting that her Haraway says like when, when uh, Kawashima is trying to um, talk her, she's like, what about your friends and family? Or what about your parents? You know? And I think, I have not watched the all, the American remake, so I don't know what they say, but I feel like she's just like, oh, they're irrelevant. They're not here. They're not supporting me. And I feel like an American version would make her an orphan in this really tragic way, you know, or this she's a survivor of this really awful tragedy. And I kind of love that it's just like, no, that's just not a factor. That doesn't that's not helping, you know. Yeah. This this movie has a light touch and it doesn't mm-hmm. over explain things. It doesn't and sometimes it is a little challenging to watch for that reason, but I much prefer that to having everything spelled out and be very obvious. Like, and she's sad because her family, di- you know, like that. Kind right. Of, I, I, you Cause don't like, need that's that. what I feel like that makes me relate to her. Cause I mean, if I haven't had this horrible tragedy, it still kind of allows me to say, well, I could feel sad like that too, you know? Totally. So. Yeah. I think again, it's, it's just, it's a very thoughtful, quiet movie. Yeah, I agree. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about before we move on? Just say no to Capri's. Oh, that's <laughs> all. Yes. yes, I did enjoy uh, Kawashima's look, though. I was kind of into him. I mean, so many of these outfits. Shockingly. Like, yes. Well, you know, he's 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 a cute little skater boy. Uh, was, that was his vibe, yeah. skater boy. But uh hmm. There were so many fashions in this where, like, things that I remembered wearing, like, the, like, flat Mary Jane-style flats and, yep. like, jean capris with the big cuff. I'm just like, no, no, it's bringing yep. me back. I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have worn a lot of those outfits and lusted after several of those guys that wore those <laughs> outfits, too, so. Uh, well, are there any other mental health topics that we want to cover? I, f- I really feel like depression is so kind of interwoven with this yeah and grief and guilt you know I guess the only thing maybe is there's a little bit of like I don't even know if it would technically be called survivor's guilt but I think what we see here is people who have been touched by suicide and 
continue to have to go on after that you know i know i there's probably a term for that that i'm missing but you know. I, I, th- I think the survivor's guilt thing is is on display a little bit. It just doesn't get to play out because then they all start getting ghost infected or whatever. Um, yeah. 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 No, I, th- I think we covered a lot of it, the social isolation and all these other things. So, yeah, I think so. Um, and so other movies or shows we see this in. Um, I had Heather's. Um, and which is still kind of this social act. It's a whole different thing. If you haven't seen Heather's watch it, it's good. And dreamy Christian Slater. And then there's the girl from Plainville, which is a Hulu show, which was interesting. And it's based on a real case, um, trigger warning for it, but it, it was just interesting about the ways that what you say to someone who is depressed can either help or harm, you know, mm-hmm. which I thought was an, interesting depiction of that and then i i put final destination and the reason i did is because i just did an episode of the ghouls gang podcast where i talked about this and a lot of what our conversation ended up going to was just kind of the acceptance of death as an an inevitability and learning to make peace with that and still continue to live and i feel like that is a theme we see here i think it's just not um I feel like Final Destination may be a little bit more hopeful with that yes. theme let's, than this is. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> I think but. that's a fair assessment. Yeah, no, I we said the night. I mean, the night house. To, we almost chose the night house for this episode, did, yeah. and uh, I would love for us to still cover it at some point. That one really these these feel like sister films to me. Yeah. And earlier we talked. You, you mentioned Lake Mungo. I feel like that mm-hmm. has a lot mm-hmm. of overlap as well. But that's yeah. about it. That was one we considered doing for a couple of different themes. And I think we, and I'm glad we ended up on depression with it, but it could have, we could have done that for this too. Mm-hmm. I mean, structurally, the sadness is a lot like this movie in terms of the overarching theme or the overarching device that drives a plot where instead of like mm-hmm. ghostly invaders, you have the invasion of this virus that basically causes persons to become zombies for lack of Mm -hmm. a better term, like they engage in behaviors they wouldn't otherwise. What's fascinating about that movie is when you watch it, you see these grotesque acts of violence, but you see how much it pains the persons committing it to be doing so. Oh, that that freaks me out. I didn't know that that was an element of it. It's like, oh, that's a horrible, horrible thought. Structurally, it's a lot. And it's it's structurally set up a lot like this, like this movie as well, uh, you know, including up to and including like trying to escape at the end of the movie, like having some sort of getaway. And again, it's a lot like Dawn of the Th- Dead in terms of its theme of monsters, like when there's no more room in hell. I think City of the um, House by the Cemetery as well, I think it fits in with that theme, which is a Fulci movie. Oh, I don't think I've ever actually seen that. It's I think the only movie fun. of his I've seen is The Beyond, but, yeah. which is a lot. <laughs> yeah, which all his movies are. All yeah. his movies are a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I've got for that. Well, and speaking of a lot, um, now it's time for an uplifting moment. I don't know how that totally works. But <laughs> it's it's a lot, so take care of yourself. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Um, so now it's time for an uplifting moment. where we share any grounding or coping techniques and any self-care that have been particularly effective for us. Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough days and tough moments 
And self-care is anything that makes us feel good or feel better. And I've posted on this uh, about this on social media, but we are fostering a cat and her three little babies right now. Oh, my God. I didn't they, see the post. Oh, my God. They are the cutest little kittens. This mom is the sweetest cat in the world. Like, I want to keep them all. Um, we're, we're just fostering, so we're only going to have them for a couple of months, but we might end up keeping most of them because I just love them. Um, but the, like, I remember I was in a, a virtual therapy session and I just saw a dog moving in the background and my screen and my therapist was like, oh, this is our therapy dog. And it really helps my teens and just them petting something, you know, and I have noticed that just with this cat who just is very friendly. She wants snuggles. She wants pets. Um, and these little kittens, it just feels like it's a tactile thing. It's a focal point that is outside of all the bullshit in my head you know it's like something that my family like we've just sit and watch these kittens play and it's just been really really good for me um for the first day it felt like having a new baby in the house so that was a little bit stressful but it was also so cute to see like this mom keep trying to bring her kids her little babies like in her little jaws it was just the cutest thing um, so that has been really good for me. They're all really soft too. And like tactile fuzzy things are like a really good stress reliever that and like weighted blankets. So, so that's been really helpful and they're just, they're super cute, you know, and I just like can meow back to this mom <laughs> and, and it's helped my daughter a lot too. Like she has an embedded interest of cats and it, I just watch her kind of relate to this mom cat and it's just so sweet it makes me happy so yeah so wholesome yeah no Mm -hmm. having a pet rules like you know there are a lot of work or and sometimes they have diarrhea all over your house like happened to me today but (laughs) yeah at, at the end of the day it's always worth it you know yeah yeah so i'm brain i'm desperately trying to think of something so if you have anything mike sure so i talked last week about buying a grill from the house down the street Mm -hmm. and rolling it up the street because it wouldn't fit in the back of the SUV. <laughs> back of the RAV4. <laughs> and I've used that thing every night and just have like, oh, nice. get so much joy just like cooking outdoors every night and eating outside mm. and really like that's been really peaceful. But this is the week I take my licensure exam. So I have mm. been studying nonstop and am finally feeling vaguely a little bit confident in my ability to take this exam. I will probably study about seven hours a day in between now and then just like to practice, but I've done the thing that I'd like to do, which is having something to look forward to. And I've gone and booked in, I just basically booked a reservation for one into the swanky steak joint that is like right around the corner from where I take the exam as a way to celebrate uh, passing the exam. I'm using positive self-talk and visualization, but it's what I do. It's like having something to look forward to when you have a tough task ahead of you. So, Mm -hmm. yep, I'm going to be enjoying me some fucking great steak. Jen, you can edit this part on Thursday if I fail. And I'm like, yeah, take that out. Oh, no, no, you're going to be fine. Are you going to find out that day? I, I, you know, it says within like two months, but it's a multi, it's not quite multiple choice like it's weird in that 
you have like a case in front of you and then you'll have like 10 sections with like 10 answers per section Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. like pick which ones apply and you'll get either positive or negative points depending on Mm. how good your answers are so you Mm -hmm. could answer like four things right they're only worth one point and then get one thing wrong and it's worth negative three and uh, yeah it's weird but i've been kind of cranking through it um but even then i don't know why they wouldn't just give me a score and say like you passed Mm-hmm. So. Well, you know how psychologists are. They're all like, oh, it's. Right. Yeah, but I got my. <laughs> how do you feel about what I got you my, you know, <laughs> I got my grad school exam like right away. I, when I had to take the mm-hmm. NBC or the NBCC exam, I got that like seconds later. So we'll see. I don't know which is worse, honestly, because I'd be like, you put all this emotional effort into the test. It might be a little nice to have like a bit of a breather afterward, and then, or if it's just like immediately, like I failed. Fuck. If, right. if yeah. for some reason I didn't pass, I would give like I, this is my technique: is I give myself one day to be super pissed off and upset about yeah. it, and then it's like, all right, next day I got to formulate a plan for next time. Mm, so I'll give myself one day to be an asshole. And then <laughs> after that, Just it's like time to buckle insult down. Insult everyone around you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. I've been trying to like ask for and then accept help, I guess, uh, which is not easy for me to do. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I am fairly on my lonesome for the most part. Um, I hope my neighbors that are walking by can't see me. It's it's weird. I, I My window faces this like, parking area and so i see everyone getting out of their cars and i'm like please don't look at me <laughs> sorry that was a distraction so so it is very i mean i am a single woman and i i do i assemble furniture by myself i do all this you know and having just moved it's like there's this list of things that need to get done and it can be really overwhelming and um so like for example i allowed my friend cat to she, uh, they were like what do you need help with and i was like no you don't have to do anything and they were like tell me one thing i can help with and i pointed at this box and it was this desk that i'm using right now like i i haven't wanted to assemble that and they were like we're doing it right now you know and mm-hmm. i was like oh are you sure like that's a pain in the ass thing to do mm-hmm. but they helped me it was so much easier with two sets of hands and it was done and um that's just one example you know it's like it's just so hard for me to ask for help and feeling like Same. I'm putting, making an imposition on other people. Like, cause that's my, my default mode is thinking that I'm making things difficult for those around me, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so it was just a good example of accepting and help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get into like, I should be able to do this. Like they're going to judge me if I can't, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I'm exactly the same way and it is yeah. hard and it's something you have to practice so good for you that's great yeah i don't think there's anything harder to do than ask for help yeah it's not in my dna you know it it feels like physically painful to do it (laughs) like and yeah i and i'll like i'll kind of pull the curtain back like when i'm in session with someone i'll be like hey if this is a friend of yours if this was someone that you wanted like what would you say like fucking call me like they would then Mm -hmm. call to it everyone call me i'm there for you i would be like mad that they're not reaching out i'm like okay why are you giving that kindness to others but not yourself and that is Mm -hmm. the fucking billion dollar Mm -hmm. question yeah 
Because you mm-hmm. can know that and be like, you. I know I would never say this to a friend or I would tell them to, but it just doesn't matter. Like when it's you, you just, and so I've just been telling myself like, just fucking do it. And it's not going right. to be the end of the, it's like, I have to like bully slash pep talk myself yeah. through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to hear from you. What is your favorite Japanese horror film? Have you ever sealed a door shut with tape? And what color was the tape? And do you understand how computers or the internet work? Or what is your grounding in self-care? Or just what's on your mind? You can answer these questions and more by following us on socials at PsychoAPod. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group, which is a private and moderated space to share about the things we talk about in the episodes or anything else that might be on your mind. And you can email us at PsychoAPod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. I got through all of the emails and um, we got some really lovely messages that I will forward to both of you. But I apologize if it took me forever to respond. I just had a lot of anxiety that was keeping me from email, but I have responded to everybody. And just so thank you to those who reached out and thank you for the patience and helping me just work my way to getting to it. It was not personal. That I, I'm going to stop apologizing for that. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a spare moment, please leave us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. It really helps other people find the pod, and it makes us feel good. Uh, thank and on you Spotify, to give us stars on Spotify. on Spotify. You can do that now. Yes, yes. I need to figure out how to do it. You literally um, just—it's all. It only lets you tap and gives you stars. It doesn't. There's no oh. like review component, which frankly I'm fine with. I don't need yeah, to same. hear from people yeah. that Why hate it. Why don't anyway. you talk about Berlin? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think the only option is five stars too. Right? Yeah, that's the only option. So you have yeah. to give us five yeah. stars. And now your phone breaks if you give us less. Oh, it's like stars, so. a, a spirit will come through the phone. It will. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. Okada, and yeah. it's like Okada and Kenny Omega in the Tokyo Dome. Five stars. <laughs> it, no yeah, one gets it's, that. It's just like that. <laughs> I don't get it, but I assume it's a wrestling thing. It's a wrestling thing. Okay. And I just laughed and went Someone like out this, there is which pumped. is when I don't get something, I just go, ha ha. And then I, I don't say anything and I go, just don't elaborate. Yeah. Hey, but if you got that joke and you thought it was hilarious, reach out. Please let, let Mike know. Yes. So right, that he, right. said he can feel less frustrated with us. There are dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and our homework question for this week is what would you do if you ever saw a ghost? Would what you have yell? you done if you boo. ever thought you saw a ghost? Would you yell boo? Would you run to it in the library? Would you yell, you're not real until it I deny icy death. hands of I death. deny it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to live forever. Um, sorry, that's oh, I just made me think of again. another movie. We should, this is also related to The Seventh Seal. That is all. Go on. Ah, interesting. I still haven't seen that. Very um, upsetting movie (laughs) (laughs) that's what i've heard yeah um well okay so next up for us we have another comfort horror movie and it's a bit of a left curve because it's a movie i've been avoiding for years because i'm too scared to watch it (laughs) same i know so but we all find comfort in different places so i'm really looking forward to talking about this we are going to be watching um house of a thousand corpses (laughs) with sarah from geeks who eat so super excited to talk about this. I'm, I, well, I've got a story about one night waking up in the middle of the night and it was on and I was like, oh my God, what is going on? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to talk about. And I'm interested to hear why Sarah finds this comforting. Me too, you me know? too. Like, I, I'm always curious about that, you know? I, I have plenty, I know plenty of people who love these movies and um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. 
Well, it, it reminds me of like when Katie Reif was talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and finding that comforting, you know, and the way she explained it, I totally get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and so, I think you just can learn so much about people by finding the things that they enjoy and the things that soothe them, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses is our next movie. And for even more of us though, Mike, what's going on in the world of Patreon? Yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast, you can become a patron of the show for as little as three bucks. Uh, and that gets you bonus content every month. It gets you like a bonus movie we discuss. It gets you treatment plans where we look at different characters in horror movies and uh, what ails them and how you might treat them. It gives you our medicine cabinet where we look at what we're watching, listening to reading or playing to give you our recommendations. And this topic uh, is from our $50 tier where you get to pick a Vanessa Mm -hmm. Uh, who also guested on our Exorcist comfort horror episode, picked this topic this month as well as the movie Flatliners. And I think that basically through the end of the year, we have lined up our patrons for this. So I think we've reached out to everyone and are currently scheduling everything, but continue to support us that way. If there is a movie or a topic you want to see us really cover, It's a one-time $50 donation, and then you get to come on and chat with us for a bit as well. So patrons where we let loose a little bit, and we were talking Mm -hmm. pre-show about some other things we can do that would like deliver some fun benefits for patrons, but also maybe take a little bit of a load off us as well. And I think I'm just kind of waiting for my school year to end so I can do a little bit more. But that's really it. You know, patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast. We just raved about the Northman. I do think I am yeah. going to do the the nineteen ninety seven Royal Rumble is on YouTube, all of it. And I'm just going to mm-hmm. do like a commentary for the patrons right. pretty soon on that. And I still think we should record a mini episode on what is the worst thing we ever saw on the Internet. Oh yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. We could do stuff like that. that. We might do it because we were tossing what to do for our hundredth episode. And I mm-hmm. kind of had like the idea of rating our guests from least favorite to most. <laughs> and maybe just doing that for the patrons. It kind of likes the idea of giving a, a heart attack yeah. suggestion. Hates just that so idea. I would anxiety, uh, so much anxiety that you will see me disintegrate. I mean, I could just you. go right. ahead and do that. Let me tell no. you. Just do it myself. Don't forget that then then you have the editing power. No, not for the patron page, though. Like, that's all me, baby. (laughs) One one day we'll figure out how to log in. Yeah, I think I've given you guys. So, like, I I would never. I see what your plan was now, Mike. I I would never do that. I might, maybe I'll reveal my (laughs) internet crushes on patron. Mm. I could do that. Yeah. We all just tell who we have a secret crush on. Yeah. Then they have to pay to find out if it's yes. <laughs> yeah. If you think it might be you, you have to donate fifty dollars. Exactly. Three bucks. I would get you for three bucks. We would do that. Yeah, you know if we've ever had a crush on you. Or not. For- we do. We should have a dark secrets tier. Oh my god, let's do it. <laughs> you know what? Oh yeah, I will. I am probably gonna put the hundred dollar. I will sing you the Shawn Michaels sexy boy theme for a nice. hundred bucks, and that'll just be personally delivered. Like- 
Yeah, <laughs> like things that people think they want, and then when they're while they're receiving them, they're going, "Why? Why did I do this?" And, right. Yeah, we have to add choice. a lot of disclaimers to <laughs> a lot of these, and <laughs> immunity clauses, and you know. <laughs> Uh, well, so these always devolve. Of, Whenever we talk about the patron, they do. I it know. really devolves very quickly. You learn things about Mike that probably didn't want to know. That's very true. That is like like could be the subtitle of our Patreon for all of. Mm-hmm. Us. I mean, yeah, and and considering how open we are uh, on our regular podcast, mm-hmm. that should give you some <laughs> clue as to uh, you know we are literally yeah. all like, I have trauma. Let me tell you about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm sorry. Just I like a little feet. weirder. So, yes. right. I'd be okay with anything except that. You know how I feel about feet? Is that they're oh, awful yeah. and mm-hmm. should never be seen. Yeah. Anyway. Let's wrap well, up. <laughs> well, let's wrap up with some plugs. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, where can we find you online and what's going on with that? Uh, you can find dare my picture I make the noise? hanging in various post offices across the country. Oh. Uh, what? You can find me at The Pod and The Pendulum, uh, where it's my other show where we cover horror movie franchises. We did post a bonus episode, a Jawbreaker the movie versus Jawbreaker, the band. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and that is now actually pretty fun. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the more fun shows to record. Uh, Jessica and I did that. So find that as well as another 140 episodes all on horror movie franchises over at the pod and the pendulum everywhere you get your podcast. You can find me over on Twitter at Mike underscore Snoonian, and you can interact with me there. <laughs> Laura, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. Oh, boy. Much like the underworld of the internet ah. uh, has underpants in it. Um, <laughs> at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S. That's the worst one yet. <laughs> put it on the board put it on the board as the worst <laughs> one yet and sometimes i'm on losers club and halloweenies although i haven't been recently and my summer's gonna suck ass so i probably won't be in the near future yep that's me baby <laughs> jen uh, you can find me at jim Ferratu on twitter and instagram you can find me writing in lots of various places and stuffs and you can also find me co-hosting the losers club podcast which um Fun stuff coming up. June is Blockbuster Month, and we are taking a little bit of a break and just kind of unlocking some episodes. We're still doing some new ones, like the Black Phone is going to be coming up with uh, Ethan Hawke. I feel like he's not going to be as dreamy in this movie as I want him to be, but you know that's my that's my you know cycle or thing to deal with. My brain stops working. That's your burden to bear. It is my burden to bear, yes. Um, And you can also find me co-hosting the White Ladies in Crisis podcast. We're talking about physical season two right now. And it's so good. There's a delightful himbo on that show, too. (laughs) And I just love him, Tyler. Um, So, yeah, Lou Tyler Pucci is just one of my new favorite people. Um, So, yeah, but I I will retweet everything. So if you want to find all that stuff, just follow me at Jim Ferratu. And that's me. And that's our episode on Pulse. Ah, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. This was a heavy topic, but I feel like, you know, we we got through it. And I don't feel like we went all the way down into the depths of despair, you know. So 
And I think it's something that we need to talk about more. So thank and you I think, for sticking with us on it, you know. Yeah, I think you can talk about it without it being the end of the world. So that's, right. that's exactly. my takeaway. Yeah, me too. But all that to say, listeners, thank you for, for going with us on this journey and kind of going into this, these darker corners. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And, and we're, we're all out of bubblegum. Bubble bubble